All right, so we're in the book of Ephesians, um, and we've been, uh, we've been working through chapters. Chapter 1, we're done. We completed it. So therefore, it was like we were in creeper gear, and then all of a sudden, you know, we hit second and third, and we buzzed right on out of chapter 1. So now we're in chapter 2, and uh, I may get through the whole thing tonight, but that's highly unlikely. Uh, and so uh, what we're going to do is just, is uh, I am going to move along probably at a much brisker pace than we have been in chapter 1. And this is a really great companion uh, passage that we're going to see tonight. Before we jump back in, I don't have a PowerPoint for you all, so uh, some things occurred uh, that it w- uh, just hindered me from being able to get that together. But uh, I will give you some really crisp outlining that you should already have if you've been following along. And if this is your first time with us, I want to just kind of quickly introduce you to this Ephesians study. You can see on this slide that we're in the book of Ephesians. Uh, that's ancient Ephesus there that you see on the screen. And Revelation it's a, it's, a, uh, it's a revelation of our true identity, uh, a revelation of our true identity. And that's, that's really important because we need to really know who we are in Christ. And you get to see that in the book of Ephesians. I've mentioned it's a mini book of Romans, and it is. It's a very doctrinal book. And uh, the purpose of our study in Ephesians is to reveal Christ's sufficiency, uh, the church's unity, and Christian's duty through the study of Paul's prison epistles uh, to the Ephesians. Now, that is a, is a perfect... Well, I believe it's a perfect purpose because it really matches the outline of the book. So when I give you those purposes, I'm really giving you uh, an outline, and it's three steps. Chapters 1 and 2 focus on the deity of Christ, and I'll get into that more in just a moment. Chapters 3 and 4 deal with the church's unity, and chapters 5 and 6 deal with the Christian's duty, right? What, What we are to be doing with all of this information that we have about both Christ and his deity and the church and so and her unity. So you have chapters 1 and 2 is Christ's deity, chapters 3 and 4 is the church's unity, chapters 5 and 6 is the Christian's duty. Now, as we think about that, the theme really is, I call it bodybuilding or building the body of Christ in the image and likeness of Christ because everything that we need to know to be like Christ really is contained in this. I mean, we we, we really study the Godhead in the first couple chapters, and I want to talk to you about that more in just a minute. And then we get into the, the church and its unity. I mean, the, 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 uh, the uh, mystery of the church is revealed in chapter, in chapter 5, but in verses 3 and 4, it really talks about how we walk and how we function together as a body and how God has equipped the church and so on and so forth, the structure of the church. It's very structural in that regard. Uh, and then when we get to 5 and 6, uh, really, it starts to really unfold in our relationships, both with one another, with Christ, uh, in our family relationships, our work relationships, our uh, all the relationships. Really, it's really structured even in the way it lays out the relationships. I'll get into that when I get there. And it really equips us practically to be able to stand in these last days. And boy, is our culture a lot like Rome. Uh, Pastor Alan Shelby likes to mention that a lot. We're good Romans, he likes to say. Well, I don't really want to be a good Roman, but I do want to be a good Christian that can function in a Roman culture. And uh, by God's grace, we can do that. So um, so I'm going to give you the breakdown on the front end here of chapter chapter uh, 2, uh, if you're a note taker. We're going to be focused on the word quickened uh, for my outline of chapter chapter 2. Uh, and you'll know if you look at the text in, in Ephesians 2 and verse 1, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, and that word quickened is really important. And... Uh, uh, even though some of your scholars would say it isn't because it's, you can see the King James gang put it in there because it's in italics. I'll talk about that as well. But quickened really is important because it really summarizes what you see here because 
we wouldn't know God if it wasn't for his quickening. If we weren't, if we weren't saved, if it wasn't for him bringing us to life, we'd be in a world of hurt. And so uh, I believe this is the outline that God's given me. Uh, verses 2 and 3 is, is my first point, which is we're quickened from the dead. Uh, then I lump verses 4 and 10 together because it talks about being quickened in Christ, our relationship to Christ, right? One's our relationship to the grave. One is our relationship and death to the, great, to the grave and death. The other one is our relationship to life, which is Christ. So quickened from, quickened from the dead, quickened in Christ, because Christ is our life. And then the last, and that's verses 4 and 10. So two in, uh, verses uh, 1 through 3 is quickened from the dead. Verses uh, 4 through 10 is quickened in Christ. And verses 11 through 22, I believe God gives us more understanding. Paul starts off in verse 11. He says, I need you to remember this. Right? When God says to remember something, then what do you got to exercise? Well, that means you got to engage your mind. And so I've titled that Quickened Understanding of Our Identity in Relation to Christ's Deity, which is a really long title. That's kind of like, you know, William Carey's title, thesis for why he needed to take the gospel to India. It's really, really long. But, uh, you know, back in the old days, they didn't have a problem with that. Today, it's supposed to be a word or two. But I think that's really the best way of saying it. So the last part of the chapter, verses 11 through 22, we see a quickened understanding. That's what we need to remember. And then he goes in and gives us even deeper understanding of what it means to be quickened from the dead and quickened in Christ. Uh, and so one, is, one aspect is what it's from, one as, aspect is what we're quickened to, and then the last part of the chapter gives us more in, understanding or insight in what that quickening entails. So it really reveals the, the understanding of our identity in relation to Christ's deity, and that's verses 11 through 22. So quickened from the dead, verses 1 through 3, quickened in Christ, verses 4 through 10, and then quickened understanding of our identity in relation to Christ's deity. All right. I'm going to take a breath. That's my introduction, sort of. So uh, as we look at this chapter, uh, you know, in this in chapter one, what was, let me ask you the questions. And the online people, well, Bray's not, Bray, you can't see online, can you? You don't have to, man. I mean, if you're checking your email or something, I'm just kidding. So um, if there's anyone online, even they can answer this. Let's start online. Is there anyone online? Is there anyone online? That's, that's a good question. Okay, there are people online. So if you're online, uh, uh, what was chapter one about in general? Well, that's a big question too. It was about, well, let me, what do you think? You know what they do in Steve's class? They give away candy bars if you answer questions right. They keep like a candy bar tally. I mean, they're going to have to buy out the candy store. So chapter one, if you remember, uh, I've actually kind of given you it. It really deals with Christ's deity. Now, we, we spent a lot of time talking about the blessings to us, which, which is really the theme of what we talked about. But it really deals with the blessings that come because of Christ's deity. I mean, Christ is the one uh, who is God, and it's manifest because of that. We got all of these, this, you know, man, this, the word manifold is not used, but all these blessings, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Um, and so Christ is all and in all. We'll even get to that in chapter 4. That's a theme throughout the book of, of Ephesians. So in chapter 1, we dealt with uh, you know, Christ's deity in relationship to those blessings, which we really can look, like, look at as possessions. And I use the analogy of a will. Like when someone passes away, they open up the will and the testament, and then they say, this is what's been bequeathed to you. And that's often in the, the form of possessions. Uh, and so what we see in chapter 2, because chapters 1 and 2 deal with the deity of Christ, what we see in, in, in chapter 2 
isn't so much our possessions, but our position. All right, so chapter 1 deals with our possessions. Chapter 2 deals with our position. And our position is in Christ. It's really that second point. It's really what do we have because we're in Christ and because Christ is God. It's an incredible blessing that we have. And so chapter 1 deals with all those blessings that we laid out. And then chapter 2 deals with the, our position, one's possessions and one's position. All right, so that's a little bit about how that breaks out. So in chapter 2, the saint learns about the blessings of their position in Christ. And, and uh, there's a lot to that. Because we really, in chapter 2, we're going to see in a minute, it goes from the grave to glory. And that's pretty amazing. From the gl- grave to glory. Uh, that rhymes, and I made that up. So I didn't make it up. I got it out of chapter 2, but I like that. It, does, it takes you from being dead to being quickened in Christ, which is in glory, which is what the understanding at the end of the chapter really delves into. And so uh, with that, and this is why this is important. So if you've like been tuning out, you're, you're cooking chicken at home, or like you guys are sleeping, whatever, listen up, because this is what's important. Uh, because the whole thing about revealing our identity is found in knowing Christ. And knowing the difference between both what you've been saved from and what you've been saved to. And so a lot of what's going on in our culture today, that's why this is relevant to what's going on today, very relevant to what's going on today. Because not we don't expect the world to be saved. We expect the world to act like lost people. Act, dogs are dogs, and they do what dogs do, right? That's what lost people do. We'll even talk about that tonight. But... Christians have to be very careful not to lose their identity. That's why Paul says in verse 10, 11, there in chapter 2, remember, remember not just what you possess, but where your position is. And remember that you are no longer dead and in the grave. You're not walking this earth anymore like a corpse. You are now quickened, and you are now seated together in heavenly places in Christ. You are now, man, you are now a child of glory, no longer a child of the devil. And because of that, then, the way your identity, your Father in Heaven, changes everything about the way you view your priorities. And, uh, and, that, and, and, and I'm being specifically regarding what's just and unjust and, uh, and, and how you process injustice and all of those things. Uh, and so uh, I just want to throw that out because that's really a, a big part of what Chapter 2 is about. So I don't think I'm going to be able to plumb the depths of all that, but I think in two weeks we'll be able to do this whole chapter easily and that we'll be able to touch on all those things. So if we don't get to it today, you'll want to come back next week and we'll jump in at then in regard to some of these deeper issues about our identity. But tonight, let's just look at verses 1 through 3 and I'm going to walk through it. So my first point, my first point of study is that we are quickened from the dead, right? So we're going to look at verses 1 through 3. That's the first point of my outline because I don't have my PowerPoint up there. It says, and, and Paul says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. I want to pray again. Heavenly Father, uh, this is your word. This is your uh, mind. Help us to understand it tonight. Lord, I don't want to say anything out of my, my wisdom. Lord, I need your spirit to teach us 
We have your word and your spirit. Lord, guide us now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, so and you hath he quickened. So and, and is a, con, is a word, it's a conjunction, right? So it ties you to the first chapter. When you start off a chapter with the word and, then you got to go back and remember, uh, what was it we were talking about in chapter 1? Well, let's go back and look at it. It says, and he, uh, well, I'm putting the he in there. He hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, right? That's our inheritance, which is his body. That's chapters uh, 3 and 4. The fullness of him that filleth all in all. Woo! So he has this monumental statement, right, that he ends chapter 1 with. And it's really, you could just stop the epistle right there and send it off and mail it. I mean, what else do you need to know? But then Paul says, wait a minute. And, well, what are you going to add to that? Well, this is what he's adding to that. He's adding you to that. Right, you read all of that, it's kind of big, it's kind of huge. You're talking about your possessions, all these blessings, it's like Christ, it's, it's all in all, it's all, it's all who Christ is. It's amazing, we talked about all that. But you know what, this is what you, that we got to walk away knowing, and you hath he quickened. Notice, notice this, so um, this is point one, the Christian has been quickened from the dead. That's what we're learning in verses one through three. The Christian, if you're a note taker, has been quickened from the dead. So in verse 1, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses, plural, and sins, plural, semicolon. All right, so quickened from the dead. What does it really mean to be quickened? Does anybody know? Made alive. That's a good definition. I like, that's biblical. Anybody else? I think I'm going with your definition. And if there's anyone online that's got another one, you can put it in the box. But uh, quickened, we're going to go with being made alive, brought to life. All right. So notice he says, and you, who's the you there? The church, right? That's Christians. So he's not talking about, you know, I watched Tucker, Tucker, uh, Tucker Carlson a few weeks ago. And uh, he was talking about someone's behavior. I don't even remember what it was. And he's talking about people. He's like, you know, people just aren't born racist. People aren't born this way and that way. There's some truth to that, right? Because we're, we're innocent until the time we start sinning. But the, the reality is, is that, that people are born sinners because they have a sinful nature. And in due time, it manifests itself. We are sinners by nature. That's why we need to be quickened. And everyone has to understand that at some point, or they will not be quickened. They will not be brought to life. And so you notice what it doesn't say, because quickened, you might think, well, why doesn't he say resurrected? Because resurrection, you think about resurrection, you think about that being brought to life. But there's a reason the word quickened is being used instead of the word resurrection. Why do you think that is? We were born dead, absolutely. So why didn't he say, and you has he resurrected? Yeah, Bob. Bingo, right. So you're alive, but you aren't resurrected. So that, that's exactly right. And that's, that's, by the way, a really important principle because we believe God's preserved his words, not just his word in general, not just a concept, uh, and not, not just in an original language somewhere that we can't find, uh, which, by the way, every Bible scholar has to admit you can't find the original. That's why we have to trust that God does what he says he'll do and preserve his word. That's why we have a faith-based view of Scripture. And so God has preserved the word in this chapter as quickened, not just here, but in verse 5. And in other places, which we'll look at here in just a second. And so the word quicken does mean being brought to life, but we're not resurrected yet. So we will be. If we're quickened, we will be resurrected. So it's really, it's part of the process of the resurrection. 
we're as good as resurrected positionally. We're already seated together in heavenly places in Christ, but yet right now we're quickened. So you're no less, you're no less alive in Christ today than you are in eternity future. That's the thing that Christians need to get a hold of. So when you think about your identity in Christ, you are as alive today in Christ if you're born again. We're talking to Christians, not lost people. As you are when you're going to be a million years from now, I'm going to be in eternity future, looking back on this day. And probably with some regret, realize I was just alive then as I am now. I was just as eternal on, on uh, June 17th. I got to look at the notes or I'll think it's the 21st. I'm just as, I'm just as, I'm just as eternal today on the, 20, on the 17th of June as I will be in the year 303030 30, 30, or whatever. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, it's, it's just going to be, it just doesn't matter. Eternity future, I'm alive in Christ. Today I'm alive in Christ. I'm quickened. I'm alive. Now, obviously, what will change is my state. Today I'm in this carcass, and someday soon I'll be out of this carcass. That involves the resurrection. That involves the rapture, well, the catching away, the resurrection, all of that. So that's a whole other issue. That's part of my quickening. It's just not manifest yet. Are you guys tracking with me? So the word quickening is important because you're alive, and you're no less alive today than you will be once you get your new body. That's why we got to get that so our identity is right, so we behave right, because people today want to make excuses for behaving like they're not quickened. And that's why Paul's writing this to the Ephesians. He's saying, hey, you have, notice what it says, hath, because that, that's past tense. We have a Bible translator right here. That's past tense. You're a linguist. That means, that means it's in the past. He's already brought us to life. Now, was that because he predestinated us to be uh, 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 whatever we had in chapter 1, predestined us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ himself? Yeah, in some part, but it has nothing to do with that happening somewhere in the annals of ancient history in eternity past. He quickened us the day that we accepted Christ. And he already predestined that those who accepted Christ would be found in those blessings that he's predestinated that would be found in Christ. We already talked about that in chapter 1. You hath he quickened. All right, when did he quicken us? Well, the day that you made the decision to get saved. Now, he already predetermined that if you were going to get saved, your provision was found 2,000 years ago in Christ. So God already predestined that because his provision comes through his son as well as his blessing. And you might not be surprised then to find out when you get to chapter 2, so then does our position. Even in eternity, where are we going to find ourselves? With our husband, which we'll learn about in chapter 5, which is Christ. We're going to be where he's at because everything rotates around him and his deity. All right, so it's pretty awesome. Okay, you are the saints. Hath is already, is, is already done, so it's not something you have to wait for. We're waiting on the resurrection, but we aren't waiting on the quickening. So we're already alive. And, he's, and, and as, as Sharon pointed out, it means to bring to life, right? It means to quicken us. And so, uh, so here's a few cross-references. Let's do this, and uh, man, I'm going to run out of time fast. So in Ephesians 2 and verse 5, the Bible says, in another verse here in this same chapter, even when we were, past tense, dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved. Now he'll extrapolate on that when he talks about the church, because the we is us individually, there's a sense in which we individually are quickened at the moment we get saved. But there's also a sense in which we, as the body of Christ, are quickened when we get caught up together with the Lord in the air. And so there's really a couple applications to this, as well as the local churches. By the way, I'm not sure how God handles that, but each church seems to have an angel attached to it, and, uh, and, and there's judgment given to it. So 
uh, that'll be interesting too. That's a whole other Bible study. It's really, I'm getting off track, but that's interesting. Anyway, all of those things are things to consider when you talk about this quickening because um, we were dead, but now we're alive. And we were dead in trespass and sins. We're dead here, it says in verse 5, in sins. And he hath, past tense again, quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And yet the church hasn't been raptured. It wasn't raptured in, uh, you know, 58 A.D. or 60, well, probably 60, 62 A.D. when this was written. And it wasn't, it didn't happen, it hasn't happened yet. Right? So we're still quickened. The church is still quickened. We're still alive. We're still kicking in Christ. All right. So look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45. This word quickened is used again. This is just a simple word study. 1 Corinthians 15, 45. And the Bible says here, um, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. I just happened to be reading. It's my daily reading today. I'm in Genesis. So I was just reading about that today. Uh, and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. A quickening spirit. Now, in the case of, of uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5 and 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-five, the word quickened is not in italics. Meaning, um, why is that? Let me ask you guys. Anybody know? Bueller? No, just kidding. When you see a word in the King James Bible in italics, what's it mean? Right, the King James gang, uh, you know, Westminster, Oxford, Cambridge, uh, those guys, we call them the King James gang, not to be confused with the Jesse James gang that used to run the parts around here or Quan 12's Raiders, uh, these guys, the King James gang, they used to, they, they would, when they would see the sense of a word in Greek, uh, but it wasn't in English, they would insert the words in English to make the, make the Greek word make sense in English so we could actually understand it. Otherwise, you'd be reading uh, in like Ephesians 1, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. <laughs> that's all, that's really, that's all the words they had to literally translate it, but to get the sense, they put quickened because... In the Greek, when they were translating that, they understood. It was clearly understood in the Greek. That's what it meant. All right? So they brought it the sense. So they're, they're really honest, by the way. Uh, a lot of the newer translations will omit the word quickened or even brought to life, by the way. That's one of the reasons I bring that up. And it will not be as good of a translation as what you got here in your King James Bible. Uh, and so, of course, I believe this is the perfect word preserved in English. So you're going to have a hard time talking me out of that anyway. But check it out for yourself. But that's another discussion. When you get over here in these other verses... You're not dealing with that at all. These, these words were, it was, again, the, the word was there and it was translated directly uh, into it. And it says that, they, there was a, that he was made a quickening spirit. Colossians chapter uh, 2, verse 13 is another verse. Uh, and before I jump into that, so you have the first Adam that was made a living soul. Who made him, by the way? Who made, the, who made Adam? God, who created, let me ask you a more specific question. Who created the, the, the crea- who created everything in the universe? God is the right answer, but specifically, who said Jesus? It's Jesus. Uh, and the reference is escaping me right now, but in the Old Testament, it, it expressly speaks to that, that it was spoke, in, he spoke it into existence. Jesus Christ, you can cross-reference it out. The second member of the Godhead, the Son, is the one who spoke all things into existence. It's attributed to him. Jesus, 
Is it Romans 4? I mean, look. Revel. Okay, you're getting me confused. Give me one that works there, brother. What? Uh-huh. Revelation 4. Yeah. Thank you, Ron. Revelation 4.11. He's like a human computer. He did not look that up. That came out of his heart and his head. Uh, Revelation 4.11. Thou art worthy, O Lord. And there's no doubt who we're talking about here. We're talking about the resurrected Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, chapter 4. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory, honor, and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. And, of course, Jesus was not created. He's always existed because he's God. And he spoke all things into existence. He's the Word, by the way, his name. So, I'm just saying that. So, the, the first Adam was made, okay, the, the first Corinthians 15, 44. And so it is written, the first Adam was made, made a living soul. Who made him a living soul? Oh, yeah, Jesus. All right. The last Adam, not the second Adam, we... I used to call it the second Adam, but I've, the Lord's corrected me. It's the last Adam. There's a reason it's the last Adam. Uh, because he's the firstborn among many brethren, but he's the preeminent and he is the only Adam, the last Adam, and he's the one who was made a quickening spirit. And so uh, he uh, was not made a living soul. He was made a quickening spirit. And so his function... Uh, the, the first Adam brought us our soul. The last Adam brings us to life from the dead, brings our dead soul to life. And so he's a quickening spirit. As a matter of fact, he is the Holy Ghost. He's the third person of the Godhead too. It's crazy. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, these three are one. They don't just agree in one. They are one, 1 John 5, 7. Anyway, so um, Colossians 2.13, moving on. Uh, let's go to Colossians Colossians 3, or 2.13. While I'm turning there, I want to make sure I, I said that right. These three agree in one. I did say that wrong. I'm thinking of, uh, I had that wrong. These three, it doesn't say these three are one. These three agree in one. Because even though they're three separate personages, they are one. I want to make that very clear. Uh, okay, so, I got off track, but I, I didn't get off track. I was covering up a mistake I just made. Colossians 2 and verse 13 and verse, uh, it says here, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son? Wait a minute. That's 113. Here's 213. And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Oh, so they got these on the screen. That's cool. So he's quickened us together with him. He's brought us to life, but he's brought us to life with him. And, and so we were dead in our sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. You know what happens when you get saved? We talked about it, I think, in, in Ephesians. I get confused which class I'm talking about. But we've been cut away, right? We've been circumcised spiritually. Uh, that happened through that quickening spirit. And we, have, we are now quickened together um, with him. And he has forgiven us of all trespasses, which is really important. So let's go back to Ephesians 2 and look at this in verse 1 again. He says, so he says, uh, and you hath he quickened, 
comma, who were dead in trespasses and sins. I want to take just a minute and talk about trespasses and sins because we've been quickened from the curse of the law. Right, so what have you been brought to life from? Well, there's a curse uh, of trespass. You've been brought to life because you've been, you've been, it says you've been, you were dead in trespasses and sins. What's killed you? What killed me? You know, Paul said, the, I was alive without the law once, but then I knew the law, the law revived, and I died. You know, so I can remember this happening to me once when I was a kid. I mean, a really specific example of this happened when I was a little boy, and I was still innocent. So I was probably like four or something. And so I'm a little boy, and, uh, and we're at Six Flags over either Texas or, or, or St. Louis. I think it was Texas, though. And uh, I was a little tykester. And I, forgive me for you guys that heard this story, but it's one of the best ones in my life because God reminds me of this, really, this principle. And so we, we were in some store, you know. Of course, I'm, back then, the, the counter's up here. And they had these corn cob pipes, you know. And so, and so I grab a corn cob pipe, and it's just sitting there, and I think it's cool. And mom and dad and the kids, the, my sisters, you know, they're doing what they do. And, and then we head on out, you know, and I have the corn cob pipe, and that's the main thing. I'm like, this is cool, you know. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm walking along with my mom and my dad and everything and my sisters. And all of a sudden, my dad, you know, stops, and uh, he looks down at me, and he says, where'd you get that pipe? Well, he probably didn't say it like that, but when you're like this little, you feel like he says it like that, you know, especially if, anyway, I won't get into that. But my dad wasn't a, he wasn't a big guy, but he could be imposing, couldn't he, Amy Jo? And so, uh, and so he was sweet as could be, but I knew I had, this was something I'm like, huh? You know, and I'm looking at this pipe and I'm just like, uh, I took it down, you know, I, I just told the truth, you know, I didn't and then all of a sudden, I don't remember if it was him or my sisters or my mom, but I just remember all the voices come in, and, and I hear that, you know, you stole that. You know, you're a thief. They didn't say it like that. But my little conscience, all of a sudden, I realized I've done something wrong. I have stolen a corncob pipe. And to add insult to injury, right, so they didn't cover it up. They made me go back to the store and give the corncob pipe back, which I did. Or they gave it back for me. I don't know if I. I don't know. Anyway, I don't remember all that part. I just remember having to stop, having to go back and give back, give up the corn cob pipe because I liked the pipe. I wanted it, uh, but I wasn't going to get it. And so I don't think my dad paid for it. And he may not have wanted me to have a pipe at four years old. I don't know. <laughs> so, well, but uh, <laughs> whatever the deal was, um, um, something happened that day, and I realized that even though I didn't mean to trespass, I had just become. I just sinned. I had just stolen something. I was now a thief. Officially, it was on the record. I was a thief. I cannot say I've never stolen anything. Now, whether I knew or not I, I was stealing is irrelevant, right? When I walked out of that store with that pipe, have I stolen that pipe? I stole it. You know, it's, how many of us have left the gas station and, and all of a sudden realized, oops, I didn't pay. That's happened to me once. I was at Quick Trip. I'm like, why doesn't my pump card work? Next thing you know, I go into Quick Trip, and I'm like, my pump card's not working. They dial it up, and they said, oh, yeah, man, you, you owe us. I'm like, what? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you, I'm running around Cass County not even realizing I'm a thief because I stole gas from the Belton Quick Trip. You know, So I went several, however many, between uh, uh, gas fill-ups. Whole, that whole time, I didn't know I was a thief until my pump, card, my pump start card didn't work. So what's that really? What am I talking about here? Well, you know what? He says, you know, and you have he quickened who were dead in trespass and sins. 
So we all like to justify ourselves. And I talked about that Sunday. Some people like to say, well, I'm better than Bobby, or I'm better than Amy, or I'm better than Rex, which I'm not better than anybody. But my point is that's kind of how we, we justify, sinners justify themselves. They measure themselves against other people. And so they'll find, you know, at least I'm not a pedophile, or at least I'm not a whatever, you know. But you're still a sinner. When the standard of righteousness is perfection, you're still a sinner, and you're dead because the death penalty happens to people who steal corncob pipes. <laughs> so, uh, and so the reality is, is that's how holy God is. He has no sin, and we are dead in trespasses. So trespassing around here is pretty common. We have those signs on the, you know, the farmer might put no trespassing on his on his on his uh, barbed wire fence, right? Because he doesn't want the kids jumping the fence and going playing or fishing in that pond so if they drown in the pond at least he had a sign up saying no trespassing right so he doesn't get his pants suit off but it really doesn't matter uh if you can read and you see that sign no trespassing and you trespass it you trespassed it so we often do things wrong that we know we shouldn't do and we do them anyway that's a trespass you know the barriers there you shouldn't take a cookie but you took it anyway you shouldn't take a corn cob pipe but you took it anyway you shouldn't have stole from work, but you stole anyway. You shouldn't have whatever, and you did it anyway. That's a trespass. But for all of those people who have deceived themselves into saying, well, you know, yeah, all those people that are sinners and they've trespassed and they know what to do and they don't. They're rotten. They, do, they deserve hell. Well, then he also says, oh, by the way, and, and sins, which all unrighteousness, the Bible says in First John, is sin. So anything that we do wrong is sin. And so uh, when you know what, to, what not to do and you do it anyway, that's a trespass. And it's also sin. But the law is given as a standard of righteousness. It's, it's really, you're not going to get around it. And so in Romans chapter 2, Paul settles it in Romans. He, I'm just going to quickly read Romans 2. I think it's on the screen, so that's good. Romans 2.12 says, For as many as have sinned without the law also perish without the law. So guess what? Even if you don't know the law, when you sin without the law, you perish without the law. You're not going to get around it. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. Just because I didn't know you shouldn't steal a corncob pipe doesn't mean I wasn't a thief. Isn't that right? And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Now, when you know what to do and you don't do it, what's the Bible say? That is sin. So... Verse 13 of Romans 2 goes on to say, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles which have not the law do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. So when someone says, yeah, but well, who, they don't have the Bible. Well, guess what? They have their conscience, and there's usually a decorum in that culture. Like you don't take another man's wife or whatever the case may be, and you cross that line, guess what? You've broken that law, your conscience, and you're guilty. All right, so uh, verse 15, which show the work of the law written, oh, in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness in their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Now, you, you all, and we all know what that's about, if you're honest. There's all, in all of our lives, there's that point, even before I was saved, where my conscience told me, don't do this. Don't lie to your parents. I didn't even have to go to church to know that. You know, when you're lying about stuff, then you're a liar. You don't even have to know the law about that. That's your conscience saying, don't be a liar. 
right? And you're, and you're convicted by that. And that's sin. And uh, in, in, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Guess what? All that's going to be, all of that is going to be measured against the fullness and the stature of Christ who is all in all. And it's all going to fall short of his glory. So for those who hide in the law, saying, well, I'm better than those that don't have the law, Paul is saying, no, not at all. You're actually just guilty because you can't keep the law that you do know, and they can't keep the law that they don't know. (laughs) So they're judged by the law of their conscience, and they can't keep that either. That's actually how I got saved, because I I started setting up rules of morality in my own life that I wasn't keeping, and then God slayed me, and I knew I was a sinner, and then finally he gave me grace. All right, so regardless of whether you know the trespass sign is there or not, it's still illegal to trespass. So He's quickened us also from the curse of sin. So people argue, you know, if we should repent of sin, which is sin, singular, our idemic idemic nature, right, is sinful, uh, sin, all unrighteousness is sin, or the the sins resulting from our idemic nature, the actual actions, the motions of sin in our members. And I, I would say God uses our sins, plural, to help quicken the sinner's understanding that they are sold under sin. And I, I use the Bible as my example and my own experience as well, but my experience doesn't mean anything. What matters is the Bible. So Paul said in Romans seven fourteen, we know the, uh, that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now that's chapter 7 where he's going into a long discussion of how, man, I am uh, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. I mean, he basically says my flesh, it is, it is rotten to the core. It's a corpse. It's terrible. It stinketh. In my flesh dwells no good thing. Uh, and so, so Paul gets into that in chapter 7. He says, I'm sold under sin. And I think it's important because we understand that, that uh, we are sold under sin. But in Ephesians 1 or 2 in verse 1, it says that we're dead in trespasses, plural, and sins, plural. And that's where Jesus finds us when we get saved. Uh, the problem isn't Jesus knowing it, of course. It's us acknowledging that. And so uh, it's often the sins, plural, that lead us to understanding that we are sinners and therefore we are messed up because of sin, the idemic nature that we have. But you don't, I don't believe everyone has to understand the details of their idemic nature and the, and the vileness of their idemic nature to get saved. God often uses sins in people's lives, the actual motions of sin to convict their hearts that they are indeed a sinner. And that is the first understanding they have of how rotten they are without Christ. And that's the first step toward understanding the good news that you can be quickened. You can be brought to life. And so we've covered the three verses there. Well, not all of them. I'm only in verse 1. Look at, look at verse 2 real quick as I've got to finish this point up. Uh, look at verse 2. It's, he goes on to say, Wherein, in time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the Uh, prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. He's not talking about past tense all of a sudden. He's talking about right now. So you look around and you see all the people walking. There's a lot of children walking in disobedience today. We talk about identity. You know what they, you know what they're calling politics today? Identity politics. Have you guys heard that? Some of you have heard that. And, and so the premise of that then is that we, is that, if, well, I won't get into, I don't want to get into politics. The point is, is our identity needs to be found in Christ, not in politics. And, uh, and people in Christ are new creatures. They're not black, they're not white, they're not American, they're not Brazilian, they're not Indian, they're Christians. 
And, and from the context in which we view people, the, the scripture views people, Paul viewed people, that's not to deny that people weren't Romans or they weren't Grecians or they weren't Jewish, of course. Just like we have people that are different, different races and different uh, ethnicities and cultures and all of that. But in Christ, man, there's, there's something that happens. Paul says, you know what? There's dead people and alive people. And you are alive, but you were dead. And when we watch television, we look around and we say, there's a lot of dead people. I see dead people everywhere. right? And that's the truth. We see dead people. The Christian's concern is not for color, uh, uh, country. It's for, it's for quickening. I mean, that's the issue. That's the issue at hand because we know there's a man who wants to see everyone dead in trespasses and sins because he is convicted for his trespasses and sin. And he won't repent, but you know what? You can. And so uh, it's an amazing thing. So in, verses, in verse 3, he goes on to say, Among whom we all, not just you, but we all had our conversation in times past. Right, right now there's children walking in disobedience, but you're not doing that anymore. Among whom we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature... By nature, the children of wrath, even as others. So something happens when you get quickened. What is that? Your nature changes. It's amazing what happens. You get a new, you're not just getting a new identity. You get a whole new nature. So now you can walk in the spirit instead of the, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, which is a carnal spirit, a fleshly spirit, a devilish spirit, one can, going in a course that this world has set, once you get saved, you get off of that course and you can follow the Holy Spirit. And it's an incredibly different, and our nature's change. That's why we're a new creature, not a creation. Creation can be, uh, it's like the, this table made out of wood or some polyethylene wood thing, you know. Uh, but whatever, this, is, this, is a, this, is a, this isn't a tree right now. This is an old table, right? But we're a creation. Uh, we're a creature, I'm sorry. Creatures have life. And when we get saved, we go from death to life. It's an amazing thing. So Colossians 2, let me give you some verses and we'll get out of here because I'm, I'm out of time. Uh, but we got started a little late, so I'm, gonna, I'm, uh, I'm reclaiming my time in the sound booth. All right, so, uh, so we have a quick, so what we've seen here is, and I haven't given you, the, the first point, I've been talking all this time, and the first point simply was we, we are quickened from the dead, really profound. Second point is that we're, we have a quickened conversation. This word conversation is used here, and it's a good Bible word that we need to know because we don't use the word conversation in the context of the scripture like uh, today like they did back in the uh, 1700s. Uh, although not typically, maybe in a court of law uh, they will, but not typically in common vernacular. So let me just kind of speak to this for just a second. And so um, this, you notice that he says in verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation. So we kind of think of that like, hey man, I'm hanging out, which sometimes does happen. It starts with conversation. Rapping with the, that's what the Bible says, right? You don't, you don't want to, you don't want to stand, uh, you don't, what is that you, you owe? Oh, in Psalms chapter one, sitting in the seat of the scornful. Um, man, I, my brain went dead on there. There's a process for getting stuck in the, in trespasses and sins. And Psalms chapter one does a good job of getting you out of it, by the way. This is not in my notes, so I'm, 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 I'm doing an audible here. So I'm running down the sidelines. Just imagine me running down the sidelines like Patrick Mahomes. 
Hopefully I can connect on this pass right now. I don't know. I hope I got time. All right, so Psalms chapter 1 tells us, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. That's where it starts. Nor standeth in the way of sinners. Then you stop. You parked your car with sinners. And then the next thing, you're sitting in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You know what we were doing before we got saved? All three of those things. <laughs> you know, we're walking, standing, and sitting. And, uh, and, so, uh, and so what we see here in verse 2 is this conversation. It starts with this. This really means lifestyle. Among whom also we all had our conversation, our lifestyle. In, in, in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So he's not talking about, well, we used to talk to people in our flesh. He's really saying our lifestyle was in the flesh. And in Colossians 2.8, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. See, there's philosophies and vain deceit you know what happened one day adam and eve were in the garden one day eve's in the garden and someone walks up with her to have a conversation now satan wasn't just wanting to talk to eve he was wanting to draw her into a lifestyle that was going to kill her and adam and mess up god's program now god has saved us out of that 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 program is death by the way there's a conversation of death that conversation that he had with eve in the garden which and and adam did not stop resulted in death so death is what comes from conversations in the world. If you, if you just take the philosophy of this world and the vain deceit of this world and walk in the course of this world, you can go to college, you can get a, you can get a, a six-figure job, and you can live the rest of your life doing the course of this world. And at the end of the day, your lifestyle will end up in death because you've been following the lusts of your flesh. This is what this says. Don't get mad at me. There's a prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, right? That's what happens. Among whom we all had our conversation, our lifestyle, in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, the way we think, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So you can't go along to get along. It just doesn't work. You've got to make a decision. And that decision is a life or death decision. When someone comes to faith in Christ, saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, they may not fully grasp it. It's a life and death decision, not just eternal life, but it also it affects their life and death conversation changes. They were on a path of destruction, literally, running off the cliff, so to speak, into the, the abyss of hell. And now they have changed. God's changed their heart and mind. They're going the other direction. They're going to heaven. I mean, it completely turns their life, goes from death to life. It can't be any more extreme. And that's what salvation does. And it changes your conversation. That's why when someone gets saved and there's no change, it doesn't mean well, some people are like, well, they're, they're, you don't know who's saved and who's not. I don't know who's saved and who's not. But I do know this. A saved person has a conversation changed at some point. At least they're convicted about that. And they know that they shouldn't be conversing, not in just audible terms, but in their lifestyle. I didn't need someone to tell me not to party anymore when I got saved, did I, Amy? Amy was there. Was I not convicted? Immediately. I didn't, need to, I didn't need someone to preach to me. The Holy Ghost preached to me. I did need someone to preach to me. I didn't understand everything, but I understood what the Lord was telling my conscience, which is, dude, you need to do some things, and you need to not do some things. 
right? And so that's what happens. Your conversation, you don't, I don't know about y'all, but I didn't have to wait 30 minutes before God was giving me a new way to walk. And uh, I don't know about y'all. I'm gracious and kind. I do get it. You know, sometimes I was at the mission one time and this guy couldn't, you know, this kid just got, I think the kid was saved. And uh, he just, he just, uh, you know, we're on the street corner. He's talking with me, smoking cigarettes. I don't care that he's smoking cigarettes. That's the least of his concerns at this moment. He just trusted Christ. And then a preacher comes up and tells him, if you're saved, you'll stop smoking those cigarettes. I'm like, dude, the guy needs to know who Jesus is and he'll stop smoking cigarettes. It's not about understanding a word and dropping a cigarette, right? So again, you got to understand who Christ is and he'll change your heart. That conversation though, there is going to be, if you change your heart and mind, he's going to change your life. You're going to be different. First Corinthians 6, 9, I got to be, I got to be done here. It says, know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God, but be not deceived. Now, we already talked about inheritance in chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this isn't talking about being saved as much as what you'll get is an inheritance, but you do understand that your identity should not be that. And such were some of you. Once you're saved, you shouldn't be this. You shouldn't be, uh, we should not be fornicators, right? We shouldn't be idolaters. We shouldn't be uh, adulterers. We shouldn't be effeminate, right? Uh, or butch, if you're a lady wanting to be a man. Uh, we shouldn't be abusers of ourselves with mankind. We shouldn't be uh, uh, thieves. We shouldn't be covetous or drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. And if we are, you're, you know, better know it. You're not, you're not, and if you're saved, you're not inheriting the kingdom of God. And no one around here is going to even recognize that you're saved because saved people don't act like that, or they shouldn't act like that. Let me put it that way. Obviously, we all act like that in some way, if not in action, in thought, and that's why we repent of our sins. But it goes on to say, and uh, this is what I like about this, verse 11, and such were some of you. But your identity is such that ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Ye were dead, but you're now quickened. That is not who you are anymore. So if you're doing that, stop it, because you can. You can. we got to be careful with addiction ministry, because sometimes we give people the impression they can't. But if they're true, their problem isn't addiction, their problem is being addicted to Jesus. Because the more we know him, the more we can. Because we really can, because he's given us a spirit that quickens, that brings us to life, that changes our conversation so we can walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now, that is a great comfort because there's been days when I was struggling and still are days when I'm struggling in my flesh to walk in the spirit. But God lets me know, you know what, Brian? If there wasn't a struggle, you wouldn't be walking, would you? <laughs> That's right. Right? The fact that you even desire to walk in the spirit, Christian, tells you something about your conversation and your quickening. When you're a dog, you do what dogs do. You don't care about it. You don't care if you're fornicating. You don't care if you're stealing. You don't care if you're thieving. You don't care if you're effeminate. You don't care if you're abusing others, uh, abusing yourself with mankind. You don't care if you're, you don't care until you get saved. But boy, once you get saved, you, you, you really do want to be, you know you're washed and you want to be clean. You know, you, you get, you don't love the flesh anymore. And you're frustrated when it takes control instead of the spirit. So then you're, now you're dealing with symptoms. The problem is getting back where you need to be in the Word of God. All right, so he goes on to say, and uh, I'm going to be done. And at the end of verse 3, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So in John chapter 8, 
Jesus takes a lot of time because they're arguing over who who is who in John chapter 8. And I'm going to, I really, I need to finish. So I'm out of time. I'm going to bookmark this and come back to it next week because uh, I, I needed a little more time with this issue of, uh, of the, the children and the father. But bottom line is there's not a one of us that doesn't wrestle, um, obviously, with the flesh. But what this is telling us is that was death. And, and then the, ne- the good news is in verses 4 through 10. So there's a, there's, a, there's, a con- there's a contrast between quicken from the dead and quicken to Christ. And really, let me just conclude with that thought. You know, when you get saved, every person that gets saved is saved from death to life. And not every testimony is the same. Some people can talk about, man, when I was lost, and they have a long list of their conversation in, in, the, in the world as a child of the devil. And sometimes we even glorify that in the church. We really shouldn't do that. We should be just as excited uh, as for a seven-year-old that really, you know, they're, they're convicted because they stole the corncob pipe and, you know, and um, stole cookies out of the cookie jar or whatever and lied to their mommy or whatever. Because, you know, sin is sin, and it all kills. And, and really what we really need to be careful of, there's only three verses spent here on death and what we've been saved from. There's many more verses spent on what we've been saved to. And the good news for those that are saved, you that have been quickened, is you know what? The only death you're ever going to see, their experience is the death that you experienced from the day you were born to the day you got saved. You say, yeah, but Brian, what if you die physically? Well, I may die physically, but that's for me is nothing. My death is swallowed up in victory. I'm not going to die. I'm going to be resurrected. So there really is no death. And so, uh, and I'm free from the second death. Praise God. And so, uh, man, death for me, death for you if you're quickened. You hath he quickened. You're not going to die, even though you physically may die. You're not going to die spiritually. You're already you're as alive today as you're going to be in eternity future, but your status will change based on the resurrection, right? That's when you get to understand what you got as an inheritance, how obedient you were when you had a chance to walk around with skin on, like Romans chapter seven, knowing that this skin wants to take you places that used to go, but you got this mind and the spirit of God that wants to take you places that you know God wants you to go, and that's the that's the tension that we have in our identity. I just watched a young man on a, on a video, and he's probably lost. Some, some guy used to lead a, a, a singing for a band called Hawk Nelson. And uh, this guy, you know, he doesn't know who he is in Christ. If he's in, and he probably isn't in Christ. He's probably lost, which the best news for him is he's finally lost. Now he knows how to get, now he can get saved. But he doesn't think God's real. And, hey, if Jesus isn't God, then you're not saved. That's called anathema maranatha. That's antichrist. Right? So he needs to understand the, the claims of who Christ is and put his faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is real and he is God. All right, um, I'm going to stop there. So thank you guys for your patience. Any questions? Because I've said a lot. Bob, you doing good back there? There you go. Amy, anything I need to say? He says, turn it off. There's a song called Turn It Off. I think it's time to turn it off. All right, anybody online? They have anything to say? Everything good? All right. Guys online, thank you for joining us next week. We're going to be live. They'll still have the overflow. They'll still have the overflow. They'll still have the uh, the uh, live stream, but we're going to I'll be down here on the floor with y'all. We'll be back to normal and uh, it'll be fun. So thanks for coming tonight and we'll pick it up in verse uh, verses 4 through 10 next week when we get together. Heavenly Father,